Unsolved Mysteries, Scared to Death, Texas UFO, Butch Cassidy, and Sibling Search. And I'm your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted, a podcast that, as far as anyone who is listening is concerned, has had perfectly seamless continuity from the previous episode. <laughs> That's right. No time has passed. <laughs> um, I actually, I got, a, I got a text from our number one viewer slash listener, Nicole, earlier, like, for me, it was completely out of context. She was just like, oh, that this thing is such a great idea. And I just texted her back. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, on the podcast. I'm like, Robbie and I had that conversation two months ago. Like, I don't remember. Can you? I don't remember. Can, but to the listener, yes, seamless continuity. Well, can you tell me what the thing is? Because I certainly don't remember either. Oh, I, I think it had something to do with um, my stipulations about how I would like my uh bloated lifeless corpse to be disposed of and it was something about um Ah. my ashes shot out of a cannon during the uh apex of uh my way right right oh gosh we did have some sort of conversation on that 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 regards we we did and i i believe that podcast is now legally my last will and testament that episode good good so how's you're recording from a new studio i it's a new pod area. A new pod area. It's um Yes. I guess you could say that <laughs> the space I I'm in is a book reading study slash podcasting specific location. Mm-hmm. Uh especially des- custom designed just for this this purpose. Mm. Yeah, what what are you looking at? What's going on in the in the pod studio? Uh, books. God, I'm surrounded by books. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure I've made allusions to the house being sold or was going to be sold. It mm-hmm. it's been sold. I had mm-hmm. to move into a trailer, and I have refitted the sort of you know living space area. At the front of the trailer, it just I made a bunch of custom bookshelves out of two by fours and other bits of uh, wood, and have just <clears throat> entombed myself <clears throat> in in books. Um, I'm hoping um, that all, all these books yeah. actually serve as a good source of installation since winter is is here, and uh, it's getting yeah. cold. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're cold, but it really sounds like you are doing what uh, a lot of people uh, would pay to do out in the desert, which is read books and yeah, live by candlelight and look at the stars, man. Yeah, yeah. It's. I'm glad to be the envy of so many. That that puts hey, a positive spin on things. Well, you always you always want what you yeah. don't have. That's what mm-hmm. I think. So um, anyway, hey, it's been a minute. Do you want to talk about an episode of uh, Unsolved Mysteries? I do. And before we start talking about the actual segments, when I when I sat yes. down to watch this episode about one hour and ten minutes ago. Um, I was, I, I had to stop it because I, I was unsure if I was watching the right episode or not. Cause I did not remember anything about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid being alluded to in the preview that we saw in the last episode we watched. So I, I had to go back and I r- skipped the, 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 the preview at the end of the last episode and discovered it was <laughs> All it talked about was the UFO segment. So uh, I I guess maybe they just figured, uh, well, that's the only thing people are really going to care about anyway, right? Well, to be honest, it's generally what I care about. Yeah, I I think maybe at this point they've like, the producers have begun to discover that the the ghosts and UFOs are sort of the, the bread and butter for their program. 
Yeah. You know, they know where their bread is yes. buttered. Yes. It's with the bread and butter is what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, let's talk about season three, episode 18 of Unsolved Mysteries. See, I, 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 that was me giving the, the information this time. Yes, I did. You remembered. (laughs) Yeah. Good job. Oh, goodness. So we're going to start up. This is a uh, unexplained death. Again, I don't really know why they named these things unexplained death. It's very explained as to how the person died. And, And anyway, so is it Cindy's? James. Cindy James. That's right. Of Richmond, British Columbia, 44 years old, found deceased and hogtied in an abandoned house, I don't know, less than a mile from her home, Mm -hmm. they're saying. Uh, I guess she was a nurse. She's a very attractive lady. Um, So the way they introduce this is like, there is a lot of suspicion that before Cindy's death, that she was like faking injuries to herself and like weird letters and calls. And she reported things to the police and she also hired a private investigator at yes. some point. Um, but it's, it seems pretty, no one can really pinpoint who killed her. So I think it was at the time ruled a suicide. Mm-hmm. It's. Um... <clears throat> It's it's a segment that its implications are horrifying. Like if you if you're being tormented and no one believes you, that that must mm-hmm. just feel mm-hmm. horrific. Like just the worst ever. Yeah, I I think her parents believed. We get an interview with her parents. I think her parents definitely believed her. Um, I think her, she had a close friend they also interviewed that would stay with her from time to time. I think Mm -hmm. also was pretty much giving her the benefit of the doubt. Um, later on we find out that she was also under the care of a psychiatrist. Yes. Um, and he really illuminates that because the police were not, they were basically, she was being gaslit by the police. Uh, like being told that she's faking all this. I don't know. They never give any reason why she would have faked it though. Right. But like one time, you know, after she's hired this private investigator, um, that this is, you know, well before cell phones or whatever, the private investigator gave her like a two way radio just in case there's trouble, I guess. And so the private investigator heard some weird noises on the two way radio and he shows up at Cindy's house. This is after she's like been getting harassing in threatening phone calls. She's been attacked. She um, has changed her last name, painted her car, moved out of the neighborhood. Anyway, the private investigator shows up after hearing these weird noises and finds, um, was there like a note attached to a knife that was shoved into Cindy's hand? Like she was stabbed. Yeah. I believe like the note was in, in between her fingers uh, but but mm. the blade, the parry knife was not through the note. It was just through her hand into the ground. Okay. If I'm recalling that correctly. Uh, yeah, so she she seems like the pattern to her being attacked, though, is that whoever it was would come up behind her and choke her. Um, that also fits a lot with the notes that she was given, which were had various pictures of women being yeah. choked. Oh yeah, Th- those notes uh, were wild. Like, yeah, I, I, I definitely would not if I if I found something like that shoved into my you know doorknob uh, or something and opened it. It would be really unsettling. Yeah, obviously the work of some sort of deranged mind. Yeah, so the police have, like, photos of Cindy with, like, a black eye. They know she's been attacked. She's been in the hospital several times. Um, I really don't know. Other than she wasn't being super forthcoming, she seemed to know who was responsible, I guess is the implication. But she wasn't That's the thing they kind of allude to. uh, I guess they try to set it up in the classic Unsolved Mysteries thing where they oftentimes... 
in some of these cases where there's someone who's killed days or weeks beforehand, they come close to telling the, you know, a loved one, like, but, but in a very roundabout way, like if I was ever murdered, would (laughs) you want to know who killed me basically? And then they don't like elaborate on that. What was strange about this that I didn't quite catch Cause yeah, they, they talk about she's mm. not forthcoming and would it be jumping the gun to men- mention her being in the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the uh, therapy hospital or like, yeah, I would, I, I would just set it up in that basically she was gaslit so bad that she started to believe it was in her own mind and then she was right. doing it. And then she was checked into, um, yeah, a psychiatric, wing of some hospital and she was there for a few and weeks. it was weird they're talking about like when she left she was telling she started telling her family like like it was and i'm not even entirely clear what she was telling them but it was like that she was suggesting that she was going to come forward with the information on who this person was who was doing this to her but like mm-hmm. the wording was so weird it was like i'll you know i'll let you know and reveal this information if and when the cops catch him or something. I like what? Wait, what? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was almost like she was going to like. I'll, I'll I'll let everyone know after the situation has resolved itself or something. I I, I didn't quite catch what their what the meaning was. There it was just really weirdly worded. Oh yeah, in the in the reenactment, at least the note is pinned to Cindy's hand with a knife in the Oh, hand. it is actually pinned to. Oh, damn. Yeah. That's yeah. I I guess I misremembered that. Uh that's that's yeah, that's intense. Well, I guess I I guess having so, your your a parry knife shoved through your hand is intense regardless of whether the note is yeah. yeah. But what's really interesting to me about this entire segment is that about 30 seconds into it Robert Stack's narration mentions that Cindy had been married. And then about four months before all this stuff started, she was separated. Mm. And that's the last we hear of that. Are you suggesting that perhaps her former spouse may have been involved? I'm suggesting it's always the (laughs) former spouse. This is like, this is like, like classic stalking behavior of like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a former partner in, in the, in the way the Vancouver police are treating it is that like, they've never seen a stalker before. Like they've never heard yeah. of this. It seems, you know, and I think that really explains why she wouldn't be as forthcoming with the police about who it was. It is because it, it was her ex. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway. I'm very glad that I have your female perspective on this crystal. <laughs> well, I mean, because basically, what the the police chalk it up to is bitches be crazy, of right? Of course. Like, I don't think I don't think Cindy James, especially looking the way that she did, was in need of any more attention in her life. That she would start like making this kind of stuff up. Yeah. Also, she committed suicide and she was hogtied. Yeah. How do you hogtie yourself? You know, well, I can only assume because it was interesting to note that they the police brought in a knot expert to recreate the knots. Mm-hmm. And when they said that, I was like, what kind of knot expert are they bringing in? And because my mind sort of immediately went to, okay, uh, Long-time listeners of the pod, well, they probably don't know this either. Uh, There was a period of time when I was living in Reno, and I was staying with someone who was a friend of mine at the time. Uh, And we weren't romantically involved or whatnot. We were just friends, and I was just, you know, staying in the same place. Uh, Coincidentally, she was a dominatrix. And once Mm -hmm. she was telling me about... I don't believe you've ever mentioned uh, her being a dominatrix. If you've mentioned this person previously. Hmm. I think this might be a new detail. Yeah. 
Somebody fact check me on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sit through. Sit. I don't remember if Robbie ever. I, this isn't news to me. I'm just wondering if it's news to the podcast. Uh, I'm sure it must be. Uh, anyway, but but do please sit through two years worth of this podcast to comb through every episode to make sure that I did not. It's only like 47 episodes before this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was telling me like at one point she had gone out to lunch with like a group of people who were like into that scene in the air, uh, the Reno area. And one of mm. she was telling me that like one of them was like his whole thing was like tying using knots and rope and stuff to tie women up. But she was explaining to me that he had to like actually create these very elaborate knots and stuff so that the women could tie them could like tie themselves up essentially. Cause otherwise if he tied them mm-hmm. up, it would actually be some sort of prosecutable crime or, or could be construed as such. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But so when the police mentioned mm. the not expert, my mind immediately went to this I- individual that she told me about. <laughs> well, that's, that's illuminating. So you're saying it is possible that somebody could arrange it, that they could hog tie themselves. I'm not sure about hog tying. And, and I, that's not quite what I, uh, I, I meant to suggest either. I kind of, I mean, I, I, it seems to me this would be extremely difficult to pull off, but I, the, but I, I, this is, I guess this is more like you have to like put your wrists through the ropes or stuff and do this and do that. And you still, mm-hmm. you still essentially need someone helping you to do it. It's just uh, uh, like, mm-hmm. I guess the final pull of a cord or something is you. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think it necessarily means that like she was able to hog tie and 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 kill herself. Oh, God, that's. I guess when you just put it like that, ugh. yeah, like she apparently OD'd on morphine while hog tied behind an abandoned house, and her mother says, you know. Cindy was down. I, I can only imagine after being gaslit by the police and committed to a psychiatric ward after being harassed by possibly your ex-husband. Mm. Um, her mother says that, you know, she would, Cindy would have made sure her dog was taken care of and laid down on the bed and done it in a respectable fashion. <laughs> That's also a good point. And I was like, yeah, that's a great point. I think. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, you you know your daughter well enough to know if she was going to do it, she wouldn't be like half nude out in a field <laughs> um, behind a house, like hogtied. That may, none of that. But the fact that the police came to the conclusion that this was a suicide is insane to me. And you know, they don't mention it in the segment. Maybe the police did or they didn't, but they should have like gone and talked to the ex at some point and started looking for alibis or checking phone records. Yeah. The ex, like they didn't do anything. The ex isn't even mentioned as a suspect. Like is, is the ex like some sort of powerful person in, in Vancouver or something? I don't know. I don't know. But what I, what I do know is that this journalist scare quotes, (laughs) <laughs> that was reporting on Cindy's case for the Vancouver, BC backwater press or whatever the hell he does. Yeah. Neil Hall. Neil Hall. Neil Hall needs to go to the goddamn tailor because that coat looks stupid. It looks like he's wearing his father's coat. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, Smug bitch. I'm going to have to keep an eye out for that uh, for, for his, uh, his, his attire. It's too big. It's too big. He's sitting there being all smug like, mm, it could cost the city a million dollars. It's like, you know, if the police had actually done anything, anything at all to investigate this. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, you they, know, yeah, they probably could have saved the, the, the city an, an enormous amount of money by just investigating it instead of just continuing continuously coming to her house. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, now, I think if they had done anything. Who was it who threw out multiple personalities as a explanation? Was that no- the coroner? Okay. Yeah, you know, the uh, luminaries of uh, psychology coroners. Yeah. But anyway, then her psychotherapist gets on and says, no way, that's not a thing. 
that was going on. It here, it so. just it yeah, it totally feels like like you're like you're saying the police are just trying to like explain it all away without you know it's just like the, the when 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 they mention multiple personalities it's like oh my god they're just like exhausting the very bottom yeah. of the mind for what they could dig out it and it, and it kind of I I feel like go ahead I'm sorry I'm sorry no it's just uh the the absurdity of it all it reminds me of did he ever watch the movie adaptation with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah, I saw it when it came out. You saw it when it came out? In theaters? I did, I saw it in the theater. Yeah, I saw it in the theater. Wow! I know. Anyway, I bring that up because Mm. um, if you recall in that film, uh, his Mm. twin brother is writing that hack screenplay called The Three about Mm -hmm. a serial killer who's kidnapped a, a woman and is torturing her and also mm. the the third member of the three is a police officer and of course at the very end it turns out they're all the same person it's it's multiple personality disorder um mm. you know and, and charlie kaufman asks his brother like well but how are you going to make that work how can sh- how can this p- same person be tied up in the basement uh wandering around working in the police station and in the house all at the same time. And it just like, it feels like there's similar logical holes in the, in the police's uh, theory on how this case went. I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat relieved that lazy ass police work isn't just uh, limited to American detectives. Is this our first Canadian case? I know we've been to Canada um, before. For, but was it yeah i think we were just there for the uh the oh the, 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 the water uh monster yeah. okay yes yeah the okachobi or no the oka oak it's in uh okanagan lake okanagan yeah. i don't remember the monster's yeah. goal though well robbie we get an update i guess <laughs> so we get a white text update, but it basically says after a lengthy inquest, the coroner ruled that Cindy James died of an quote unquote unknown event. <laughs> an event. And a, a, um, like a murder event where she was killed kind of event. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Dude. The segment's a bummer. And you know how, like before we get the update, it ends on that cityscape yeah. of Vancouver. Yeah, that looks nice. I actually, I found it very ominous. Like the it shot did. combined with the music. It was yeah. like, geez. I mean, I. Do you feel like it was like kind of a, a like a noir ending? Yeah. To, uh, to this. Right. Story. Precisely. Yes, that's it. You just described exactly what it was I was trying to say. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Robbie, should we move on to something a little more? Lively, a little less. Yeah, you want to talk about UFOs? I sure do. Tell us about (laughs) Betty and Vicky and whatever the little bastard's name was. Yeah, what, Holden? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) He he might as well be Uh, named Holden, right? (laughs) uh, Yeah, sure. Well, anyway, it's, uh, it's the late late 1980s and Betty and uh, Vicky are with, is it Betty or Vicky's grandson? that's in the backseat. Um, God, I, well, I mean, they're all related, right? Is it, isn't it mother, daughter, um, and then grandson? I don't grandson? know. <laughs> I thought, I thought the two, I thought the two women were just like friends. Oh, that, well that could, could be. Yeah. Um, it's Vicky's. It's Vicky's seven-year-old grandson. Okay. Not Holden. That's close. I think the basically the right right letters, more or less. Yeah. So they are coming back from dinner. We're led to believe going down the highway at uh, at night outside of uh, some part of Texas. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're right. It was in Texas. Yes. 
You guys, you guys, I had a long day. The details are, are just really fuzzy. Oh, outskirts of Houston, Texas, State Road 1485. Do, do, do we want to... Do we want to break the fourth wall and reveal the di- differing time frames that the two of us have watched this episode? Um, yeah, it, well, it's been a, I thought we were going to record a couple of weeks ago, so that's when I watched the episode. And then I tried to cram in a refresher, like, the day before last. But guys, I've been, like, really busy. <laughs> so. Wait, you, don't, you don't need to explain yourself. I just thought it'd be fast, like fascinating that like i mean we're sort of on different ends of the spectrum you watched it a long time you just yeah. watched it and i i watched it once a couple of weeks ago and then then half of the episode like a, d- a day or two ago so <laughs> i'm sorry this is interesting but i'm not making it interesting okay. so state route 1485 outskirts of houston texas benny and vicky are coming back from dinner with Colby in the backseat. They're driving what looks like a pretty sweet Oldsmobile. Guess what they see in the sky? Uh, bright lights. They think it's an airplane. It keeps getting closer. Not an airplane. And it's described... I, the way that Vicky describes it is a little bit different than I think how they do it in the reenactment. Also, I don't understand why the cowards at Unsolved Mysteries didn't put Vicky and Betty in the reenactment because they're obviously, like, alive. <laughs> right? Why weren't they just re- redoing it? Anyway, um, I really feel like Unsolved Mysteries through their entire episode budget at basically poking some holes in a coffee can <laughs> and then like uh, shining a flashlight through it and trying to make that look like It was UFO. not the best UFO Unsolved Mysteries has produced. It's also probably not going to be the worst. That is true as well. I I, I guess you have to give it credit. <laughs> there, there will be worse that I'm, I'm sure waiting for us. <sighs> okay. So this is where shit gets wild. Uh, they have to stop the car because apparently um, the, the car was getting too hot or something. And also because the light was blinding them to the point where they, she couldn't continue to drive any further. Yeah, that's not safe and to be dri- driving the, if you can't see. Yeah. Pull over, <laughs> you guys. Um, which I'm sure they regret doing now, considering yes. the outcome. So the UFO that they describe is like diamond shaped, but kind of rounded. Mm-hmm. And with um, at the top and, and with the like the points smoothed out. Yeah, it's it's a real smooth diamond <laughs> that it's they like, see with many points of light shooting. You know, it's out funny. Of it. I was watching it and she was describing like how it's a diamond, but there's you know she added all these caveats, and I said to the screen, yeah. "So really, it's almost as if it isn't shaped like a diamond at all." <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I'm saying it looked like a coffee can that they poked some holes and used a flashlight on to create the effect of the reenactment. Yeah. So anyway, what happens is um, they pull over and uh, Betty stays in the car with Colby. But for whatever reason, Vicky is like compelled to get out of the car and look at this thing. And um, she goes all Travis Walton on this. He's the uh, the fire in the sky guy. The the one. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's totally that. Uh, she she gets out and she's like staring at it and um, she uh, it moves on mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is and she gets she goes to get back in her car but the like the handle of her car is super hot to yeah. the touch and I think they mentioned also in in interviewing Vicky that um, when she'd come to a stop that the heat was so much that when she came to a stop that. Uh, Betty's hand in the passenger side, like the dash of her car was so hot that she left a handprint right in the dash of the car because the the vinyl or whatever was so hot. Um, anyway, so after Vicky gets back in the car, they start up the car again. They go to leave. They see some. They say like a dozen uh, twin rotor uh, army helicopters mm-hmm. chase after this thing. Okay. It seems like a strange so choice to send helicopters to chase after a UFO, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you want to send mm-hmm. jets? Well, what would what would you send? A jet? But it's pretty low to the ground. Just remember that. Like they were, 
That's why they had to stop because it was getting pretty low. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe this was a really dinky UFO. Yeah. Anyways, so they see these like Chinook helicopters take off after these things. Um, I hope I got the reference right. I looked it up as to what kind of double oh, wow. helicopters there are. Good, good for you, Crystal. <laughs> I did a little. I did a little research. A little, a little military research. All right. Yeah. So they see all these helicopters go chasing after this thing. Well, the next day. Um, actually, it was later that night. The little boy, um, Betty's grandson. Kobe? Yeah, Colby wakes up his grandma saying he just, he had thrown up all over his bed. Of course, again, cowards. They didn't show the puke in the reenactment. <laughs> That's what Betty said. <laughs> Is that Colby had thrown up all over himself in the bed. And it was the middle of the night and he was begging for water. And so Betty gets him a glass of water. Um... The next day, Betty gets up. She sees that she looks like what has looks to be like a pretty severe sunburn all over her mm-hmm. face and hands. Um, same thing with Colby. He had a fever. Um, he was he was very ill. He just was wanting to drink a lot of water. It looked like he was burnt as well. So Betty was like, I guess, kind of okay considering. Yeah. And she goes over the next day to Vicky's house to see how wait, Vicky's doing. Wait, Vicky's wait, wait, like, wait, 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 yes. wait, wait, wait. What did I miss? Vicky is the older one. No, Betty's the older uh, one. I, Vicky's the one that got out of the car. I'm feeling like it's the opposite there. Do you want? Okay, well, I don't. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you're right. I'm sorry. No, Vicky's the older one. Betty's the one that got yeah. out of the car. So flip that. And yeah, it's just because I mean, you know, I, I, I just I was really confident of that because when I saw her hair for the first time in this segment, the thing that went through my yeah. head was like, oh yeah, that is definitely Betty hair. <laughs> but her name's Vicky. <laughs> no. No, are you saying the, the brunette's woman's hair is yeah. Betty hair? Well, I guess Vicky's hair is oh, Betty okay. hair also, right? No, but here's the thing, Betty. No, I'm sorry. Vicky looks like my aunt, my great aunt. <laughs> so to me, that's Vicky has Betty hair, and that's probably. I guess I should have stopped instead of just confusing the matter further. Go on. <laughs> it's okay. I think that's the that's the bell for the title of the show. Um, I think I found one in there. Okay. So, anyways. Vicky goes, checks out her grandson, then she goes over to Betty's house, and some kind of, like, horror movie twist, Mm -hmm. uh, Vicky finds Betty still, like, in bed, like, pretty late in the morning, and she is so sick. Well, in the reenactment, uh, Betty rolls over in bed, and you just see her face is, like, covered in blisters and Mm -hmm. welts, Um, and she's red, and she's, like... Super, super sick. So they end up taking her, I think, to the emergency yeah. room, right? They take her to, to the hospital because she's super sick. Basically, the long and short of it is um, Vicky's doctor said, her regular doctor said that she had been exposed to, she had radiation sickness. She got Chernobyled. She got Chernobyled. Absolutely. And and she got Chernobyled the hardest because she got out of the car and stared at the thing. So eventually, like, Betty loses her hair. Um, she's just, she's sick off and on. She's in and out of the hospital. I guess ba- they're basically, like, suing the U.S. government at this point to get some answers. The, because. They uh, they write letters ahead. to both of their sitting U.S. senators. One of whom is Lloyd Benston. Yeah. Who's Lloyd Benston? He was Michael Dukakis's vice presidential pick in the 1988 election. Uh, he was pretty he, and provided the the highlight of that campaign uh, mm, during which was during the vice presidential debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Did he scream? No, no, it was it was not. Any, no, 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 it was it was not anything crazy. It was uh, actually because his opposite number in this debate was Dan Quayle. And mm-hmm. the moderator brought up the question of uh, exper- age and experience because Dan Quayle was mm-hmm. thought of something of a, a, a lightweight. Dan Quayle said mm-hmm. something along the lines of, "I, you know, 
uh, JFK was younger than he was when he became president or something. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Lloyd Benston, surely the campaign had anticipated some sort of answer like this and just had this ready to throw out there. Lloyd Benston's response is the famous Senator. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. And Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. And the audience explodes and cheers and um yeah. Hmm. Anyway, was so he, was he implying that um uh Dan Quayle was faithful to his wife? <laughs> Ooh, that's, is that too soon? <laughs> too soon for who? <laughs> well, I guess I guess it has been like sixty so years since yeah, the assassination, right? Yeah, we, we. Yeah, and I'm well. I didn't make an assassination joke. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You are, Jared Kennedy had uh, some predilections. Yeah, he, um, uh, he liked the ladies, but I mean, yeah. was was he really? Isn't that just basically all men? In the early 1960s, though, I mean, at least according to what I I've feel seen, like in- no. <laughs> but but when I watch Mad Men, it, that's what it seems to be suggesting is like guys like to sleep with women and sexually harass them too. I'm gonna I'm gonna come out on a weird side of this, which is I'm gonna come out on the not all men in the 1960s. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I think that's the side I'm gonna I think there was hey, you know what? There's sleaze bags now, there's sleaze bags in. That's but true. You and I know it's not all dudes, so come on. <laughs> okay, yeah. Don't yes. make don't make me the not all men person on this <laughs> podcast. Man, I totally tricked you. <laughs> I just walked right into that. Uh, Anyways, can we talk about yeah. UFOs? <laughs> sorry, sorry. We're, this this is a podcast about UFOs, not infidelity. Um, um, so yeah, they they contacted but their what if it city was a US podcast senator. about UFOs and infidelity. <laughs> Actually, I suppose that is the more accurate description. Um, contact U.S. Senator Doug Stanhope. Please continue. Yes, uh, and the senators. Um. They contacted the Air Force or something and conveyed to the uh, to the three to to Betty and Vicky that the Air Force uh, is going to try to help them as much as they can. And Mm -hmm. so Betty and Vicky and Kobe go into the Air Force base expecting like some sort of medical treatment. They they were not brought into a hospital uh, type setting, but instead a Mm -hmm. office type setting with mm-hmm. tables where they were seated and then just subjected to a lot of like information prodding questions. Uh, mm-hmm. And it becomes very apparent that they're not there for treatment. They're just there so that the air force can get the, the entirety of their story and j- then just deny that anything happened. Mm-hmm. Like they, the, the Betty's like, well then the, the military helicopters and like the air force captains like, whoa, 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 wait a second. What makes you think those were military helicopters? And mm-hmm. I think Vicky also mentions like she looked at a they for some reason there's a giant map on on a uh, tripod. Oh uh, yeah, and then they had like pinpointed the exact place where they had seen the UFO. Where they had seen the UFO? The yes. I yeah. I'm not sure why they have that set up for them to to notice when they come in, but whatever. Um and it's just like it's obvious that it's just the Air Force trying to escape any sort of responsibility for all this radiation poisoning. But mm-hmm. it's kind of weird, too, because if they're they're denying that it was like any human made craft, then mm-hmm. the remaining alternative answer is that they saw a UFO. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if. If if this well, is one like of the, one I, of those assu- things, you can actually sue in a court, and it's not the UFO. So. Pre- pre- yeah, precisely. I mean, I just assumed that this was like there's some sort of experimental U.S. Army, uh, uh, U- mm-hmm. U.S. Air Force craft. 
uh, mm-hmm. diamond shaped or not. And somehow it, uh, there was some sort of, it, it gave off some radiation and da, 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 and apparently uh, the Air Force would prefer people believe that UFOs are real than have to pay up money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, this is, this is compounded and made more interesting. They hire, they find some like UFO investigator and they take him out to the site. I I think it was probably overemphasized in the reenactment, but there was a, a large burn scar on the asphalt of where they'd seen, yeah. seen the UFO on the highway, uh, also sort of supporting the level of heat that was coming off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, what was it? They they actually, in, in the Unsolved Mysteries and in the reenactment, they interviewed um, a state trooper. Yes. Who also happened to be out driving that night that had seen all of those helicopters. He didn't see the actual UFO, but he saw the hot helicopters uh, going after it. Right. Right. So, I mean, that's like another eyewitness account that something happened. Well, I guess at some point the, and this is according to the UFO guy though, uh, but at some point that strip of highway, like unmarked construction trucks came out, hauled off the asphalt, like covered it up in tarp, drove it off and then replaced the asphalt. They Chernobyl the suggests, highway. Yeah, they Chernobyl the highway. Like, you know, there's no, uh, there's no carbon rods here. That's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, so yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know where I land on this. I guess you know, Betty and Vicky, they suffered some pretty long-term health effects from being dosed with that much radiation. I don't think there's any question that. Um, they were exposed to something. Yeah. And that's evident. So I don't, is that what you think it is? You think it was like an experimental aircraft and the, and the, the government wants plausible deniability because they don't want to pay up or cause issue. If I had to wager money, that would be my guess. But what kind of aircraft do you think would be putting off that much radiation? Like what were they trying, what were they trying to make? That they didn't succeed at. Some sort of radiation gun aircraft that radiation <laughs> gun aircraft. <laughs> like it, 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 you know, it, it, it flies around and it exposes the enemy to harmful amounts of radiation that will kill them in about twenty years. Well, I, guess, drop, I guess. I guess it would be a cigarettes. very. well i mean you know that could be a thing too i wouldn't be surprised if you know all the russian uh bots and hackers just start flooding facebook with information uh fake uh news about how cigarette cigarettes aren't harmful just to get americans to smoke start smoking a lot more again to cripple our um yeah, do you think the vaping disease is is caused by Russian trolls? Uh, you know, I I've, every time vaping gets mentioned, I just kind of tune out. I guess what there's been yeah. like a couple of people who have had some sort of health related things involving vaping, and for some reason, like it's uh there there was like a panic about, and people were contemplating just banning vaping, right? Right. Well, I think the um, I think the running theory is that Baron Trump got caught vaping, and then so it had to be banned. I don't think it really had anything oh. to do with people actually dying from it. Okay. Is that yeah, not I wouldn't the running be... theory. Uh, well, I, I like I said, I've been paying attention, but I can totally believe that that would be something that would happen. I mean that's that's yeah. that's he, basically how our vaping. our public policy choices are made now is just based off um, just physical observations of stuff happening in the White House. Yeah, this is a weird time to be alive, uh, Robbie. Yeah. You know what might have been a dangerous but more fun time to be alive? Would that be in the old West? I think so. Get a movie tie in, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> this next segment. There's, what, yeah, there's no like merch 
tie-in here. It's just a movie tie-in. Yeah. But, but they paid some money for that stock footage of Butch Cassidy and the Sun. That's that's kid. what I was wondering about. Like how much money did they have they to pay money over? for that? Yeah. Yeah, did I did I uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid starring Paul Newman and Robert Redford? Did I ever mention that my mother insisted to me because my father's name is Robert, and uh-huh. I guess like ostensibly I'm named after him, but okay. once my mother confided in me that when she chose that name, she was actually thinking about Robert Redford, the actor. <laughs> I, you know, wasn't, that's very funny. Yeah. I, can I just give you a very hot take on, um, the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which I have, I have viewed for the first time within the last year. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Have you seen it? Uh, Yeah, I have. Uh, it was one of Um, my mother's favorite movies. (laughs) Here's the here's my very hot take on it, which is it's not a good movie, actually. And um, I think the reason it was popular is the same reason that um, what would be a good analogy? This isn't this isn't fair to Robert Redford or Paul Newman, but it would be like the reason uh, the Twilight movies are popular. (laughs) Um, I think think if you just put like a couple of handsome dudes in a film, people are going to think it's really great. And it's not as bad movie as bad. So are you team Butch or team Sundance? (laughs) 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 Just just to go with that Twilight. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll go with I'll go with Team Sundance. Yeah, that's a cooler name. Um, that's um, uh, that's a very that's Robert Redford, right? Yeah, I'm He's pretty sure. Sundance? Yeah. Okay. Because okay. yeah, he has the Sundance Film Festival and and stuff. Wow. Right. I um. That's I. Gosh, I'm I'm glad that you're on this podcast, Crystal, because we need this yeah. sort of controversy in order to like. Keep keep hot uh, with the coming, listeners. Coming out forty five years later with my hot take on <laughs> Butch, Butch Cassidy and Sundance. It's like not actually a good movie. It's got hot dudes in it. I can see why it was popular, but it was like not actually a good film. It's like the movie is like if you took the remember the illustrations from Cheers, the beginning of Cheers. <laughs> it's like if you made a movie out of that. Um, you make a good point. They have they have. A lot of screen time devoted to those sort of interstitial, mm-hmm. non-moving images. And in the soundtrack, like there's a song that's pretty famous from, it's like the theme song of the movie that it's like completely inappropriate to the setting. <laughs> it's like hippie folk music, but the yeah. but the, the movie's supposed to be set in like eighteen whatever. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, the beginning of the segment. Robert Sack is, guess what, back at Paramount Ranch. R.I.P. Paramount Ranch. I was right going to ask you if that was Paramount Ranch. Yes, it is. Any any Old Westy treasure segment or anything, he is at Paramount Ranch okay. for that. Um, but do you want to, like, actually talk about the segment? Because I don't really remember it. You, well, there's... <laughs> You know, there's not much to it once you get past the, 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 the footage of the film. Basically, uh, for those people who may not be familiar, uh, the, the, the generally accepted history concerning Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is that, I mean, because they ended up in South America for a while. And Bolivia. Th- yeah, specifically Bolivia. And they were cornered and killed by Bolivian authorities. <clears throat> mm-hmm. That's how the, the, the movie ends as well. And so what this segment is putting forward is this, I guess there is this, in the early 1900s, there was this speculation that perhaps, at the very least, Butch uh, escaped from that situation and survived. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, this is... Um, they, they, they do a reenactment where an acquaintance of Butch and Sundance comes in to identify the bodies and, you know, this old miner guy sort of looks at them and he's like, yep, that's Butch and Sundance in the knowledge that they're not because he wants to like give them or at the very least Butch a chance to, 
uh, escape and not have the authorities chasing after them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, which is, I mean, they they bring that. Yeah, you know, this is being put forward by a guy named Larry Point Pointer, who mm-hmm. is credited only as a writer, <laughs> mm. and, but he seems quite insistent that <laughs> this happened. Um, mm-hmm. But and this left me with a concern, a nagging question. Okay, if it wasn't Butch and Sundance. Or at the very least, uh, one of them was only Sundance. Who are these other people? Were there like other Americans in that same like small village that got cornered? I don't know. Well, if uh, my read on uh, the movie was correct, Bolivia was like the hot, hot spot. Oh well, yeah, the, you know that's a good point. I mean, like in you know like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that's that's a good point. There could be others. Uh, just other gun. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I guess it's entirely conceivable. Other Americans interested in robbing gold shipments and stuff would find their ways to the South America. So, well, part of, part of the thrust of this too is that um, if they're bought, if that wasn't them who was identified, there's some guy who shows up in Spokane. Named William Phillips. Yes, <laughs> and that naturally he must be uh, Butch Cassidy. Right, of course. And they you know, they do uh, interesting side by side comparison of their pictures. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what do you think about that? You know, it's. I mean, it's definitely to the point where if someone you know showed me these two pictures and they're like, I kind of think that they're they're the same person. I I wouldn't laugh at them. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, they they got similar fa- some similar facial structure, definitely. I kind of I'm looking at them right now and I'm kind of thinking like the only thing they have in common is that they're both white men and the pictures are taken in black and white. <laughs> but I guess I guess I guess there is in the eyes. It's they're fairly similar, but everything else is just off. Yeah, they, they bring right. in they bring in other guests who are like I don't know. There's if you look at this, that, and the other on the face, they're not the same. Um, yeah. And what? Uh, and what I'm confused by is I'm not entirely sure. Like, why is it that people thought that this guy was Butch again? Other than like people I, retrospectively I looking at pictures. Who's it? Who's who's in Spokane, Washington? Who's like oh, that's Butch? Cassidy. Um, I mean, maybe because, like, the guy, you know, he rolls into town and he's got, like, the cash to start these businesses, right? But, I mean, isn't no that past. just something... Yeah, no past. But isn't that something that just happened a lot in the late 1800s and early 1900s? Yeah. You would arrive in San Francisco without, you know, without without any money and you'd, you'd get into a... <laughs> poker competition and you would win like huge winnings and you'd get a hotel room and you'd start a business and oh yeah i'm sorry that's time's arrow from star yeah, trek yeah i the think Next you're confusing Generation. that two, two-parter of uh star trek <laughs> you meet the... you meet you meet mark twain and uh all sorts yeah. of shenanigans happen yeah and then he's and then you start like um, trying to defeat um, time traveling aliens. <laughs> aliens. Taking people's souls yes. and blaming it on cholera. Right, right. Naturally. From your hotel room in San Francisco after you win all that money at poker. Yes. Because you're a robot, but you tell people that you're French. I would like to join the game. Pale face. Oh, I don't like Easterners <laughs> personally. <laughs> I'm Are you French. suggesting that Butch uh, Cassidy may have, in fact, been a robot? I am. Excellent. I'm suggesting that. Excellent. Well, Android, if you want to be technical. <laughs> well, yes, Android. Android. Yeah, mm-hmm. sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, so when we got this neat, like, reenactment, I guess uh, it's it was supposed to be uh, a reunion of this now older uh, incognito Butch Cassidy with is it is it the woman that Catherine Ross played in the film? 
Sure. <laughs> well, let's just say it is because that'll be more interesting. They do this okay. uh, this this interesting reenactment of like the two of them meeting in some sort of desert canyon. Mm. I guess it's not that yes. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I, I didn't know if you were done. I was like waiting for you to elaborate on that. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you know, the, basically, well, there's not much. Butch basically rides up on a horse, and he gets off, and, and yeah. she comes up to him and is like, "Hey, Butch," or no, 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 no. She's like, "Hey, uh, Mr. Phillips," and then like, there's a big sort of. She might as well just be winking to the camera. Mm-hmm. Then there, um, they also do some handwriting analysis. Handwriting analysis. I knew I knew you would be interested in this since it's some nice hard data. Yeah, she's concluded that all five letters are written by the same man. So she looked at it. Yeah, yeah. I. Uh, must, must I guess. True. I mean. I mean. I guess I'd give more weight to her since she's actually basing it off st- something other. You know more than the writer who's just like, I feel like it should be the same guy. And I just like, every time they talk, cut to that writer, I just kept thinking like, is he, is he only saying this? Cause he wants to write a book about the, you know, this actually, I should look yeah. that up. I'm sure there has to yeah, be some, this is definitely, this is definitely a book plug. I, this is just why, like, what is this? Who cares? <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, like, I understand the whole, the, the hard on everybody has for finding Amelia, Amelia Earhart's plane or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, cause she was, a you know, an icon and, um, a hero to a lot of people, but I don't, this is like trying to find, I don't know. who's like a, like a bank robber. Well, well it's like a face. I mean, it's like, Trying to prove that they're they were still alive. Well, and yeah, I mean, supposed to be dead. yeah. The thing is, is like the problem with this is, you know, you is there's no there's no investment because it's just all we're getting are just people speculating about some guy in the past, and we don't have yeah. any stakes that are going on like there was the yeah. successful businessman it's not like his life depended on whether people thought he was butch cassidy or not um this is different this from might like, have been interesting yeah this might have been interesting if he had like had some money to pass down or something right right there, there any stakes at all to this there there was an inheritance or something i mean it, there there were more stakes involved with uh because sometime later in this show we're going to get to the guy who was claiming to be billy the kid mm-hmm. and at least that has like there's a guy who's insisting that he's billy the kid so he, we, we were presented with this like either there's this guy who really was billy the kid or you know we we have a fraud there's no stakes in this so it's just a yeah. it's a, a piece of interesting speculation well, I guess it's not even that interesting. So. Well, it's just, it's like a real, it's a real time filler. Yeah. You know? But we got some footage of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which is apparently not on Crystal's top 10 list. So. No, it really isn't. I'm, and, no, and no shade to anyone involved in that film. Just, it's not that great. It's just, it, you know, I understand why everyone gets so excited about it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, people were horny back then, too. So, what's... Well, you want to talk about a Lost lost Love segment? Uh, Do we have to? I mean... Well, I can make it really short. (laughs) Um, No, go ahead. I guess that's that's the the task ahead of us, isn't it? Yeah. uh, Basically, we got this woman named... I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. Athelina Everett's. Her mm-hmm. and her three younger siblings, uh, they had parents that um, first started having kids when they were teenagers. So as you can imagine, they didn't, they weren't exactly prepared to be parents. And apparently these kids were left home alone quite a bit. And so the oldest daughter, was sort of, I mean, she was only like five or six, but she sort of, she was sort of tasked with trying to take care of them. Um, the parents couldn't, couldn't just couldn't handle the kids. So they ended up in this foster family. Uh, 
and boy, did they hit the jackpot because this this foster family that lived on the farm none, nonetheless were apparently some pretty uh, pleasant folks. So no forced farm labor on this one? Yeah, it's it's the exact op. Uh, you know, it's funny. I watched this. My mind immediately went to that. Like there was those siblings and one of them got shipped off to a farm or he was basically just slave labor and. He was living in the barn, right? Yeah, he was living in the barn. That was old, uh, old, uh, what'd you call him? Gil? <laughs> was that it? Was it Gil that you compared that guy to? I think, yes. No, 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 no. Uh, I think it was, was it Frank Grimes? It was Frank Grimes. Yeah, yeah. Had, had that miserable, just like a, a, a horribly miserable run of just life. Yeah. But look at the size of this place. So this is this is I, not I a, a single Rimes. room above a bowling no, alley. No, quite the opposite. I mean, if anything, this quote-unquote farm just sort of like it seems more like a hobby for this couple. I mean, I don't know anything mm. about their real situation, but it's just like mm. you know they're not having the kids going out doing hard labor. Instead, they just like they go to some, some trough and they just they fill the bucket up with the feed and then they let the kids dump the feed into the thing. And the kids are obviously enjoying it. So, um, but unfortunately the biological father gets, uh, decides he wants the kids back. Mm -hmm. Uh, unsurprisingly, uh, the parenting skills have not improved. And we get this cut of the, like the kids sitting on the counter with like a Hershey's chocolate, um, mix container open and just sort of mix mm. scattered everywhere. Uh, and then I'm, conf- I wasn't quite clear, I guess a little bit later, the oldest daughter, when she's a teenager is brought back to the foster parents, but she's really determined to find her three younger siblings. So she runs off, mm-hmm. goes back to goes goes to some town where she vaguely remembers her grandmother living i guess maybe they yeah she has a minister like drive her around yeah she 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 gets a minister to drive her around um which i i i guess that uh I, I appreciate that that minister is just like taking a complete stranger around to look for a farmhouse um yeah. What would, yeah. What the, would, the woman, what, Alethea, is like making some really weird analogies too about like how finding her family is like reading a book she had to put down. I didn't get what she was meant by that. Yeah. What, she's like, I have to do it. It's like, there's no, I don't understand. Like she had to go to work and she couldn't look for, I don't know. I don't understand the analogies she uses. Um. So, uh, like, if. What 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 do you think the odds are success rate? One hundred attempts. How how many of them do you think you could like walk into a house of worship and try to get someone to just drive you around looking for a house? Um, granted, um, I, I, I I the the success rate might be different if you're a teenage uh, teenage girl who seemingly yeah. is looking for lost family or something. Yeah, yeah, me personally, probably not very high success rate. But if I was a teenager, maybe a bit higher. Yeah, yeah. Then, like, then uh, they, they can't <laughs> find it. So she goes to the police station. And surprise, surprise, the police, like, determine she's a runaway. So then she's mm-hmm. shoved back into the system. Yep, she has to put down that book again. She has to put down that book again, (laughs) whatever that means. Um, Um, And yeah, she she gets reunited eventually, though, right? But we don't see it because it had nothing to do with unsolved mysteries. (laughs) That that seems to be what what the case is. Yeah, they we we get an update. She was reunited with her siblings, which is great. We don't get that heart touching footage of them meeting up because. Uh, I guess unsolved mysteries. You know, if they don't get the credit, they uh, they're not going to show you what happened. Nope. And we get like a preview of our uh, the up the what will be our next episode. 
Yeah, what's what's happening on the next episode? We get back-to-back movie references. This 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 one nice. this this episode they talked about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if they'll actually use any footage of the film in the next episode, but in the next mm-hmm. episode they're going to be touching about they're going to be talking about Elliot Ness and the Untouchables. Nice. Because apparently, well, maybe not so much the Untouchables, but I guess apparently after his after he took down Al Capone. Elliot Ness was involved with investigating a serial killer. Wow. Yeah. Can't wait. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. And if uh, you can't wait, go on to our Twitter (laughs) at ReactedPod. (laughs) And send us emails at reenacted at gmail.com. Oh, I'll need to um, get various login informations from you uh, since they're not stored on this computer to... Oh, okay. Uh, Should I give you the password right now on the podcast? <laughs> uh, Listen, if you can determine who Robbie and I's least favorite professor was <laughs> and then add some characters after his last name. See, I'm already giving you clues that he... You too can access our Gmail. And read uh, the email. You know, we, we never got we never got any shitty small town stories. What happened there, people? Um. Oh, oh did I send you? Um, Helen posted something on the reenacted fans page. Uh, it was. I mean, it's not so much a story. It was like a video. It was a news thing of something that happened. Did mm-hmm. I forward that to you? I'll, I'll, I'll try forwarding that to you. Okay. Um, but we still want shitty small town stories. I believe we will read them. Go to our Facebook reenacted pod fans. Uh, there's silly stuff going on there. Hey, uh, Robbie, do you want to do the thing? For every mystery, there is someone somewhere who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is watching. Perhaps it's you.